0: hello 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 and this is another episode the comedian's paradise this is the podcast for comedians made by comedians or made by a comedian in my case this is a podcast aimed at speaking to tantalizing large in life characters who help comedians like you and me live life on your own terms. This could range from any sort of industry. Rage comedy, could range from radio, could even come from business or event marketing. The point is, each guest on this podcast is gonna bring you something you never thought of before. They're gonna bring a unique insight that you and me as comedians can apply to what we're doing in our art, advertising, running shows, make it better. And I want you to go on this journey and enjoy it. And look, just with everything as a whole, if you do see great value in this podcast, make sure you subscribe and follow for more. Make sure you share it to your friends so they can be joining this fantastic journey. And make sure you give this a 5-star view rating on Amazon and iTunes. Today's scrumptious guest is the amazing Tony Cowdes. He's an award-winning, established act on the UK comedy circuit. And you could say his everyman character and wine-raging humour makes him play any crowd. He's a prolific writer with BBC writing credits, and he's a man who has every, well he has over 20,000 Twitter followers listening to his every gag. And this is an episode where we speak to someone who has over a decade's experience in the comedy circuit that can help us look at many things especially as a new act that we're doing wrong and what we could add and change to make us a better comedian. This is an episode you're going to love. So without further ado, let's speak to Tony.
1: Oh, well, I'd, I'd always been a massive comedy fan and watched loads of comedy on TV and stuff, but in the, in the kind of late 90s, um, or sort of mid to late 90s, I really got into stand-up. I was living in London at the time and it was during the big sort of first kind of stand-up comedy boom yeah. with um, people like Rob Newman and Baddiel. Um Jimmy Carr was just kind of starting out and becoming a big thing. Um, and I used to go along to a lot of, watch a lot of comedy. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine that I was working with, him and some of his friends started up an actu- a comedy club in North London called The Comedian's Graveyard. Yes, And that's, that's kind of, I just used to go along to watch really and, and gradually got roped into kind of helping out With the sound and lighting and to, to do the door for them occasionally And then kind of it, it went from there really I got, they, used to do, they used to not just have stand-ups on But they used to do little sketches in between the stand-ups um, And they did songs and various things And I got roped into a couple of uh, sketches Just to be an extra person up on stage to act out little bit of the sketch um, and then gradually through that eventually I kind of decided to give give stand up a go because they they used to have a little section in the middle called, um, it was called Opportunity Clogs which was, it probably doesn't mean anything to anyone nowadays but it was a pun on, on the old um, Opportunity Knocks which was a bit like X Factor back in the, but it was back in the 70s where they'd have singers and, and comedians come on and, and try and make it big. Um, Anyway, and that little section was just basically their open spot section. So they'd have people doing five minutes. um, And as you're aware, in the open mic circuit, you see some people that have clearly got some talent and they're going to go a long way. And you see other people that that haven't, (laughs) or maybe not quite so much. (laughs) (laughs) And people often ask me what I was inspired by. And in a way, it was those people that weren't actually that good that inspired me much more than the people that were really good. Because... I kind of looked at the people that were were not so great and thought well I could I could be that bad (laughs) uh, because because you tend to look at the people that are really good and they're kind of they put you off a little bit because you go oh geez I could never be as good as that but when you see people up there trying their best but not necessarily doing that great you kind of think well what's the worst that could happen I couldn't be worse than than these people surely
0: (laughs) yeah and then I mean, those sort of things. You must. I'm guessing you must see now, because I see that as well with some people when they do. Even when I do comedy, like doing gigs now, or used to when before this, I still get intimidated by people that are really good, and that would. I still get that now. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, oh, oh man. I like people are always telling me about. I should watch this comedy special on Netflix, or this TV show, or this person's show, and I I can't watch. I find it really difficult to watch comedy nowadays on on telly or even go and see someone live because if they're really really good it's just it's just almost heartbreaking because i just think oh i don't know if i'll ever be that good and (laughs) and it's just yeah i still there's people i look to now and i just think oh man you're just i don't know how you've even got to that level
0: yeah it's it's i think it's it's the same as well in I feel like some, it's great to see so many people do well on TikTok and social media and like really do well in comedy. But sometimes you do, well, you do get a bit jealous. Just, you have to admit it will be there. But you have to, so oh, for yeah. myself, I've kept tried to, I've had to block a few accounts because it's a bit like, I'm happy that you're doing well, but I don't want to, you know, see it all the time because I don't want to get into that point where I become a bit negative and get into that spiral. Yeah. When oh, you're doing well, yes, you're an inspiration. Okay. I don't yeah, want to keep seeing. Very,
1: very common problem i think it's very difficult even even like people it's so sort of yeah even people that you really really like that you're sort of friends on the circuit if they get a, an opportunity to do something or they're doing really well with something that you just think oh, i wish i'd had that opportunity it's really difficult to not feel not get the jealousy and not not feel it's it's weird comedy because it feels like feels like we're all sort of competing against each other when of course we're not really we're all Making our own way through the through the comedy world, I and mean, it's not like that. There's a race that, that to the finish that one person is going to win comedy, but it sometimes feels like like it is. It's it's difficult sometimes to to see other people streaking ahead, and and you feel like you're getting left behind. Um,
0: yeah,
1: I think so, we all feel that. Yeah, to a certain extent. But I think even I think, even, I think yeah. sorry yeah. just. I was just going to say quickly, I think even uh, I've talked to people that are like obviously massive high profile acts. And I think even at the top, it's, they still have that. Like you can be, you can have your own TV show and be doing brilliantly, but then you'll see another comic that's doing a a multi-million pound Hollywood film or something. And, and there's always another level. There's always someone above you that you're going to aspire to and and think, oh my God, I wish I was doing what they're doing.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing because that's one thing that I've sort of gotten into recently, or just actually from yesterday, actually, because I spoke to an NLP practitioner, right. and like she says, she put, got me into this mindset where I should possibly think of rather than thinking of like the end outcome of like being on the Apollo or anything like that, or like I'm not saying I'm going to think about it, but I'm just saying in terms of the outcome get yourself a focus on a process and as long as you're getting better every day or you're learning something don't be too hard on yourself
1: yeah 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 i think that's i think that's good yeah you you've got to somehow try and just isolate yourself almost and just concentrate on what you're doing and, and make sure you're you're doing the best you can do and you're improving every time and kind of the other stuff then comes along when you when you're ready for it i think rather than just looking at everyone else and as, soon as if, you stop, if you just stop and you 're just watching everyone else and thinking, "Oh God, why is it happening to them, why is it not happening to me then you, you, like you say you 've stopped your process, your process has then just hit the buffers, and you need to to worry about what you 're doing and trying to move yourself on
0: and so how has sort of comedy changed in sort of that regard in terms of like how you progress and get better at it and like because I spoke to Spiky Mike and he said my God, there's, so, there's more clubs, but my God, there's like a gargantuan amount of more comedians <laughs> than there used to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, ever since I started, it, there seems, to have, it seems to have gone exponential that, that despite, yeah, more comedy clubs opening, every time that happens, more and more hundreds, if not thousands of people go onto the bottom of the circuit wanting to be comedians. So I think, yeah, I think that's been a trend for a while. Um, So, yeah, I don't think the process really changed. The thing with comedy is the only way you get better at it is to keep doing it. Well, like most things, really, just keep keep doing it. The weird thing about comedy is, of course, it's hard to practice it without having a live audience watching what you're doing. So comedy is one of the few things where everyone gets to see your mistakes as you're getting better and better because... Because like, I suppose if you're a musician, you can practice on your own and you get better at it. But comedy, it's very difficult to to practice a set or to work out what's going to be funny without having an audience to give you the instant feedback. Because at the end of the day, as, as a comedian as, or as a comedy writer, you can write what you think is funny. But the acid test is, is just when you put it in front of an audience. I mean, I've, I've written jokes in the past that I thought were going to be winners. I thought that's really funny. that's made me laugh. Um, tried it out in front of an audience, got virtually nothing. And then other times I've written a joke, I thought, oh, that's not a great joke. I don't like that joke. But then I've done it because I needed to do it a new material night or it filled a gap somewhere in a set. And then the audience have really laughed at it. So so the audience are the ultimate judge. And what's funny, I don't think that's that's changed. So we st- there's there's different ways, obviously, of getting the comedy out there now. There's... Um, obviously you can do a lot of stuff online and tiktok and and twitter and facebook videos youtube all sorts of different ways now so there's there's more ways of getting your comedy out there but i don't think the process has changed that much
0: okay and you're saying there about the joke writing about you know bringing so do you make sure do you always put when you're writing jokes and you're going up on stage do you bring in like two or three jokes that you think are really good and you deliberately bring one where you're like Ehh.
1: yeah I think I think it all, de- all depends on how you're feeling and how the night night's kind of going certain so like I, I do quite a lot of well previously I'm not doing them at the moment but previously I did quite a lot of I did quite a lot of new material nights and there I try to be much more brave and just try stuff out even if I'm not entirely confident about it but if I was trying to say a new, bit, I had a new joke that I wanted to do a regular night yeah I would definitely do a load of jokes that I knew would work and then if I was feeling confident or if the audience were going really well with it I would might drop in one or two new bits and see how they go but then it, conversely if I was doing a gig and I'd done three or four jokes that normally get a really big reaction and they'd been a bit muted I then would bottle out of doing any new stuff. Cause you kind of think, Oh no, if they're not going for the bankers, I'm not going to try stuff. I'm not really sure about, which I don't know. I always know if that's a good attitude to have really. Cause I think sometimes when you're in those stressful situations, that's when it's almost a good time to try something slightly different.
0: Do you, so what do you do then? Do you just carry on writing bankers and then boom, you, you hope for it to get better or do you leave it or what do you do in those situations?
1: um what well, actually on on that night and the, the in the gig when it's
0: when it's difficult for you how do you do it yeah with that?
1: i mean if if you're having a gig that's that's difficult i i try uh, the i think the biggest thing is um I realize that i it's hard in that situation not to kind of slightly panic a little bit um, and what you tend to do when you panic is you tend to speed up and you tend to um it's sort of like uh, almost throw the jokes away. As quick as you can and of course that tends to make the problem worse because one of the reasons people don't laugh perhaps as much at your jokes is maybe they didn't hear all the words. Maybe they you were too fast, maybe you mumbled a a bit of it, you fudged us a a certain bit (coughs) Sorry, I forgot that's linked to my phone. (laughs) Um, So yeah so one of the things I always try and do if it's not going well is, is remember to breathe, slow down and then make sure the next couple of jokes you enunciate. You make sure the audience hear them, basically. First of all, and then try and slow it down. And and because someone someone once told me the thing is, if if you're giving people some jokes and they're not really going for it, and then you speed up, so you're just giving them more jokes. You're just effectively giving them more of what they weren't enjoying previously. <laughs> so it's not really going to probably win them round. Mm.
0: It's it's not a big change, but it's a subtle change and also it gives you more time to think or yeah. to try and and it looks like you're in control.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'll know that a lot of comedy is uh kidology really, psychology again with the audience. You you want to look like you're enjoying it and you're in control, even when sometimes you're perhaps not, perhaps you're you're not you're panicking a little bit inside, but you've got to project, you've always got to project the image. To the audience that you know exactly what you're doing, you're completely in control and even if sometimes you can win audiences around with just a bit of kidology like they may not have been enjoying what you're doing but you you do it, keep doing it with a big smile on your face as if you were storming the gig and before you know it the audience kind of comes around because they kind of look at you and subconsciously they think well he's having a great time up on stage. So the gig must be going really well. <laughs> we must be enjoying it as well.
0: Is that perhaps maybe the difference between perhaps a pro comedian and a comedian that's coming up? Because one of the things I heard was with open micers and people that aren't that high up yet, they're not very good at dealing with head crews. But when you get to the pro level, they learn how to do it and they're much more fluid with dealing with dickheads.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think... I think it's not even, yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I don't even know if it's the way you deal with the heckler so much as, as like I say, the way you look, because, because you, you know, and anyone that's performed will know that sometimes a comment that you say to a, to a heckler doesn't even really have to be that funny. But if you say it with enough authority and quite quickly, it, 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 That'll get a massive laugh, even if it's not actually the cleverest thing you'll say all night or the funniest thing so and part of that is just having that authority on stage and i think I think you're right one of the big things that separates newer comedians and older ones is just that sheer confidence and and look like looking like they belong on stage, the authority of being there I mean one of the things I'm always being a one liner comic yeah. myself. I tend to want to rush into jokes and get jokes out as quickly as possible. But one, one of the things I always love to see and experience comics quite often will walk up to the microphone and sometimes they won't even say anything for what seems like ages. They just stand there kind of looking imperious or whatever. And it just gives off such an, a sort of calm air of authority. And I always think that looks amazing. Whereas I get to the microphone and I want to rush straight and get a joke out straight away. <laughs> And I think sometimes that eagerness to please, which tends to be a mark of like being a bit more inexperienced, can sometimes come across to the audience as being a bit too needy and and it push actually while you're doing it to want them to make them want to like you it actually weirdly pushes them away slightly as performers. We can be quite um sensitive to to what what may not even actually be criticism or maybe a negative reaction, but what we perceive as a negative reaction. When actually, what we need, we need to be up there with like rock solid self confidence and and projecting that air of authority. And I, I think sometimes we're uh, bizarrely a lot of comedians and performers seem to be quite insecure actually and are quite shy people. Um, and it only we've we've all had situations where you'll have an audience of a hundred or a couple of hundred people. And 99% of them are enjoying it, but if you just see that one person that didn't laugh at one joke, all of a sudden you like your heart sinks, and you're kind of like rather than seeing all the other people that are all having a whale of a time, you'll just see that one person that's not enjoying it, and we kind of seem to be a bit overly sensitive sometimes that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing that I heard in one of the other interviews, she says, if you're looking for a problem, you're going to find it. If you and that's what you said there. I think that's yeah, what yeah. we're always looking. We're always we're so wanting to be really good and do this and that. And we're looking for every little thing that we we don't always appreciate the good bits.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, yeah, I think that's one of the things I've tried to learn over the last few years of, of uh, just trying to see the positives really rather than picking all the holes and, and seeing the negatives. It's, it's it's one of the weird things as well is I think. Uh, saying about what what I try and do if, if it's not perhaps going as well as I hoped it would is one of the things I always remember is that um, if you ever if you record your gigs I, I'm terrible I should I don't record my gigs as often anywhere near as often as I should but I think really good tip if anyone's out there wants a tip is to um, to record every performance if you can and then it's really difficult listening back to yourself but I think it's really beneficial because you often find that a gig that you think didn't go well and you listen back, it was never as bad as you thought it was. But conversely, quite an interesting thing is gigs where you think you've stormed it are probably not quite as good as you thought they were. There, there seems to be this weird thing of when you're on stage, you accentuate everything. If if, if you think you're going badly, your brain will make you think you're, you're dying horribly when you're probably not, you're probably just doing okay. You're not doing great, but you're doing fine. And, <laughs> conversely if you think you're doing absolutely storming it your brain sort of elevates it to this like you think oh that's the best gig anyone's ever had and then you listen back and it was like well it's a good gig but it wasn't <laughs> like the, they weren't carrying you out on their shoulders perhaps quite like you thought they were <laughs> at the end
0: and what have been some amazing moments for you and how have you changed the comic like and uh, during your journey
1: um, I think some of the the, be, the best things like uh, I, I did a, a, a few charity gigs um, in um, in some big theatres and I did I did one where I was on a bill that was just the most stupid bill I was easily the least well known comic on the bill it was um, going to sound terribly name dropping now but, but it was like Al Murray was on um, Stuart Lee Shappy um Simon Evans and it was just like a, everyone was uh, John Bishop opened it was just like the most ridiculously stupid bill and I was and everyone was doing 10 minutes just because it was a, um, a charity gig and and I, I'm not gonna pretend I was the best I did the best on the night of anyone because that would be ridiculous but I ha- but I held my own I was perfectly acceptable on that bill and and that was kind of a big moment for me I suddenly thought I'm not, I'm not this aspiring comic that's like on whatever level I think I am, I actually can, I can do this to a decent, decent standard. And it was kind of a it changed my mindset a little bit of like, cause you know, how is you always, there's always people you look up to on the circuit or comedians and you kind of don't think you're really in that same sort of company, but then if you can gig with those sort of people and, and, and do perfectly well, then you have to change your mindset. That's the one thing that holds, I know I'm guilty of it, holds, holds you back, doesn't it? Of, of kind of thinking, oh, I could never do what those persons were doing. That's what we were saying about before, that I still look at some comics and I just think, wow, that's a level I don't know if I could ever reach. But that's one of the things that kind of holds us all back a little bit, I think.
0: Yeah, it's, I've seen it as well with like some of the new, when comedians do well in the competitions, it's like getting and and get an agent, their, their attitude from where before then is completely different.
1: Yeah, what you think? It sort of goes their head a little bit, or or it just, or in a good way, it just gives them that confidence boost.
0: Yeah, the second point I think was like I noticed with Nigel, and like I mean, he's super famous on Uncle. Yeah, Roger, yeah, But like before, he was good. But I didn't like as soon as he won the competitions and like when he uh, got signed, there was a little bit more confidence in the way he carried himself.
1: Yeah, well, I think no matter how confident a person you are, getting some sort of outside validation of a a good review or winning a competition, or just someone who's obviously quite um, high up in the industry an agent or a review, reviewer or manager or whatever, deciding that you're a worthwhile sort of addition, say an agent decides you're a worthwhile addition to their roster of acts. Um, that's certainly, it's going to give you that little bit of a boost. And I think, I think that's, like I said, we're, we're all quite, or a lot of comedians anyway, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of comedians are fairly sensitive people and things like that. Just that little, little boost to your ego and boost to your self-confidence can, can go a long way. Yeah,
0: it's yeah, it's it's the way it's the Sam Minigan's thing about what's it called, forgetting about the gig, whatever happens. Tell that to comics. I mean, it's it's just <laughs> <laughs> these things last for days, mate.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah, it's it's the thing with comedy stand-up, isn't it? Is is it's quite it's it's a, such a passing thing, like unlike. I don't know if it's true of actors or, or poets or whatever, but but our performance. If, if you're an artist who paints a picture, if you if you paint if you have a good performance, as it were, I'm going to say performance when they're painting, you've got a record of it and you can show everyone. Look, look what I did last night. I painted this amazing picture. But a comic, you can have the most fantastic gig, but like the next day, no no one really. Cares. The people that were there might remember it for a little while. You'll remember it for ages as a person, but it's kind of gone in that moment. But you have to look at it both good and bad. Like if you have a terrible gig, the next day you're the only person that really cares about it. No one else has. As some people might remember, oh, that. Oh, do you remember that comedian who was terrible that night? But they probably won't remember your name, and it's it's pretty much lost to the mist of time very quickly. As I say, that's a good thing and a bad thing because. Because you can have a fantastic gig but within a week no one really cares but you can have a bad w- gig and within a week no one really cares.
0: One of the things I always find kind of interesting with comedy is I spoke to a comedy director like Amanda Baker at one of the, like the Asian Comedians Christmas thing and she says that comedians Two things. I'll make sure it's quick that way, Tony. <laughs>
1: uh, someone's coming in the room. So I was just making them aware. <laughs>
0: there's, we're two things. We're, um, we're either performers or writers. And I think the battle for any comedian is to get the balance just right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's his his theory, but like, because I've heard various people, but I, I know Gary Delaney says about there's there's performers... Who, who write comedians break down into two categories, basically performers who write and writers who perform and I think um, it's kind of he, I think he says and I, I tend to agree that um, the performance side of it is is much more important in a way than the writing side of it to be a, to be on stage as a comedian because uh, a performer who writes can their material doesn 't have to be top notch and they can really sell it and perform it really well and will get a great result from the audience, great reception. Whereas a writer who can write an absolutely fantastic joke, but, but can't really perform it very well, isn't going to do very well on stage until they learn to perform. So a writer who performs has got a lot more learning, I think, to do than a performer who writes really. It's, it's, maybe it's just, maybe because I'm a writer who performs, I, I see the writing as the perhaps the harder Oh, sorry, the learning to form is the harder skill, but a performer who 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 is not so good at writing might see it the other way around. But my 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 theory is that, yeah, if you've got the performance skills, they, they are kind of, I don't know, 80%, 90% of becoming a good act and the, the writing the materials are slightly lesser. It's
0: it. an amazing thing. It's the best feeling well when it goes well. But one of the things that I would like to find a bit more interesting about it and, that maybe I'd like to see more of. I mean, the Edinburgh Fringe has everything you could think of. But one thing I do find that I would like to see more of, I'd like to see more bonkers acts, because I see a bit, there is on the small level, but I just wish there could be more. And I think sometimes I feel that in comedy, when you're a bit different, people don't like that. And they're very fixed on comedy being a certain way. And I think I would like to see people and more styles and people be more sort of hey, it works
1: yeah i I, I, t- I think I agree with you I, like I think one of the slightly odd things is that, as comedy has become more popular as a as a thing for people to get into and um, to start performing um, it 's become slightly more homogenized, which is weird because you think with more people doing it, there 'd be more different styles and more people doing slightly like way out their wackier stuff actually yeah i think you're right when i started there were people doing really kind of weird and wonderful things as some of it you'd you just watch and go what on earth is going on i don't even know and then some things would just be weird and wonderful but also incredibly funny and sometimes you wouldn't wouldn't exactly know why you were laughing but it was still really really funny and i think i think comedy has lost that a little bit and i think that's probably because more people are coming into it seeing it as a it's the it's the business side of it perhaps becoming more um why people are getting into it than the show part of it the show business sort of thing and i think edinburgh edinburgh is quite good for that in a way because with with the free festival system and free fringe now people can go up and do something experimental and completely mad Without losing tons and tons of money, you've you've got someone coming. As well. Say hello
0: to my mum. <laughs> right.
1: Okay, have
0: a nice here. Thank you. <laughs> I hope like you're well. <laughs>
1: like do with me, enough. it's like liable to be children. You, it's got, your mum comes in. That's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think that the experimental stuff is brilliant. When people, I I mean I've I one of the things I wish I'd done is is been is been a bit braver and just tried different things. I mean, like I I did doing some online gigs, and one day I just I found the kids have got uh, here have got a um, a puppet giraffe, just a hand a glove puppet giraffe, and I was doing just a an online gig, just a short little five minute set, and I thought I'm going to do it as the giraffe. I'm going to do. Just do my jokes, it'll still be the same material, but I'm going to do it as this as this hand puppet because on obviously on a screen, I could duck under the the frame and hold my hand up and do this draft and I just thought like and it and it went down really well, everyone thought it was really funny, and I just thought this is the sort of thing i would never I would never have tried that previous uh to sort of online comedy and lockdown and everything and I thought this is the sort of thing I wish I'd done a bit more of just i mean so because you you know how it is you experiment with something. And like, might fall completely flat and not work. But what I was saying about the ephemeral nature of comedy, it doesn't really matter because no one's going to remember the things that didn't work in a year's time. But if you hit on something that works really, really well and you can develop it, then that can become like a big, a big thing. And it's, it gives you a unique selling point if you're doing something that no one else has done or no one else is really doing.
0: To be honest, I'd love to see you do a show, Tony, called Parrot Puns or something. You'd have know, some sort of puppet and just the whole show. <laughs> you do your jokes and say, hello, now I'm going to introduce my friends. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd, do, I'd ever do a whole show of it, but I think as, as a... Because one of the things I love about like um, Tim Vine, because Tim Vine is one of my absolute heroes, and I just love the fact that he as well as doing just his, his jokes and his one-liners, he does a bit of everything. He'll, he'll If he's got a joke that involves a puppet, he'll do a bit of puppet. He does a little bit, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he does a little bit of um, puppetry, ventrilo. I think is he doing ventriloquism? Anyway, he's got like a puppet, and then that puppet's got a puppet, and then the puppet's got a, it's just all these layers of stuff, and then he's got like pen behind the ear, where he does the thing, trying to get the pen behind his ear, and he sings songs, and he does, so he's got, he does like, he just does whatever, like he hasn't said like I'm a one-liner comic. All I'm going to do is one-liners. He's kind of like he does whatever he wants that he thinks will be funny and daft and silly, and I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. With our, I wish we, a lot more of us were like that. I I still struggle to be like that, and that's one thing that I want to aim for. Yeah. Because it just frees you up. And it's funny sometimes I find with comedy or anything, like you're not, when you're not trying to be funny and you're just free, you're just doing your thing, and you're having fun, and you're not worried about things. That's when you're funny.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, like saying about being a writer who performs, one of the things I was very hung up on for a long, long time was was the jokes. I was like, the jokes were almost the crutch that I, was, I was basing everything on. It's like, I always thought oh, if I write brilliant jokes, I'll be a brilliant comic. Um, but we all know as performers that the, the thing that will get the biggest laugh on a night is when something goes wrong or, or you put a heckler down or something that's just spontaneous that happens in the room or just an off the top of your head comment about something that you can see or something that happened on the way to the gig. And they are the things that will get the really big laughs. The jokes I always find now are like your framework that your act is built around and, and the jokes have to be reliable but the jokes give you a fallback option to then be a bit freer and then to play around. Cause you know, that if you, if you talk to the guy in the front row and um, and nothing really funny comes of that, that's fine. Cause then you can go back to some jokes that you know are funny, but it frees you up to play around a little bit more. And, and like you say, it w- won't always be the case, but like most of the time, I'd say, I don't know, nine times out of 10, perhaps eight or nine times out of 10, if you're free and you're messing around, you're free to ad lib or think or do something spontaneous that that will get a big laugh usually because the audience i think the audience audiences love to feel that they're a unique show where something could happen that, that wouldn't have happened the night before and won't happen the next night i think one of the things that puts audiences off sometimes is is when a comedian is just very very scripted and they know that they're just doing exactly the same show that the people last night saw and the people the next night will see because if, if you're going to just be that rigid in what you're doing, they could just watch a DVD. Hmm.
0: Now, it's great that you mentioned that because there's, there's four sort of, you made me come up with four questions here that I'd like right. to ask you now. So the thing is, is like, how has, what have been some really hilarious experiences during a journey comedy? What have been the experiences that taught I, you the most? Can I just...
1: Can I just pause one second, because a cat wants to leave the room. Be... <laughs> oh my god, that's three, three quite big questions, so... and my memory is terrible. So like, as you've, asked, as you've asked me the third question, I've completely forgotten what the first two were. So what was, what was the first bit of that? Let's try and do them in order.
0: So the first bit of that is what have been the most funny and memorable moments in comedy for you?
1: Oh funny and memorable moments. Well uh, f- Funniest, uh, I don't know is it is I think it's generally it's quite funny when when stuff goes wrong One of the things I, I mean I've, I've, I've fallen over as I've gone up to get on the stage. I've tripped, <laughs> tripped on the stairs. Um, I remember one gig I was it was in a little bar and the, um, the, the back, it didn't really have a proper green room. So we were behind the bar in a little room off the bar and it had swing doors. And um, just as I was getting ready to go on, I, I put my hand out to open the doors, forgetting it was two swing doors. So I opened one door, but walked straight into the other one and and it smacked me on the nose, giving me a nosebleed. Um, and I had to go on stage with like, literally paper towel stuffed up my nose. and. <laughs> and stuff. And and the audience thought it was some sort of weird character act or something that was part of my act that I had to sing. but I actually wasn't. I was just holding my nose like whilst blood sort of started to seep out whilst I told some jokes. Um, And then I kind of, yeah, and I kind of had to explain to the audience what had happened and they thought it was hilarious. I I don't know if they thought it was like I'd done it deliberately or whether it was, whatever. Um, So yeah, I've I've been quite accident-prone. Another time I went to... This was the first time I actually did a gig. I think this was the first time I did a gig at The Stand up in Edinburgh. And um, I had had a bottle of beer because I used to... I think a lot of comedians have a bottle of beer sometimes as a bit of a prop because I never used to know what to do with my other hand. When I'm holding the mic with one hand, I never knew what to do with the other one. So I'd, I'd have a bottle of beer that I could occasionally take a swig from. But as I walked up onto the stage, obviously one of the things is that the microphone is in the stand. And the first thing you do when you get up there is you have to get the mic out of the stand. And because I had a bottle of beer in my hand, uh, I didn't really, I was work, trying to work out how I was going to get the mic out of the stand. Cause you normally have to hold it with one hand, don't you, to pull the mic out. And I had a bottle of beer in this hand. So I kind of tried to hold the stand with the bottle of beer. Oh no, I had the bottle of beer in the other hand, I think and was getting the mic out. Anyway, somehow the mic got a bit stuck. And the bottle of beer and then the, the microphone suddenly came out of the, the clip uh, but I had the beer in the same hand so I suddenly just threw beer all over the back drop and just beer just shot up the wall behind me <laughs> just so I did it. and again the audience I think they thought it was part of the act and they all found it hilarious and were like oh. <laughs> And afterwards, I even had a guy come up to me and he, and he said to me, oh, I thought, yeah, I loved your act. And he said, that thing you did at the beginning with the bottle of beer was hilarious. Was like, <laughs> as, if, as if I'd set it up to do it as some sort of weird stunt thing at the beginning. Oh. So, so, yeah, I think, I think when, it, when it kind of goes wrong, is usually quite funny.
0: <laughs> On the flip side of that, what, what, what have been the, the experiences that have taught you the most?
1: Oh, experiences that, I, th- I, don't, I don't know if I could n- nail it to any one particular thing. I think you kind of learn all the time. Every gig you go to, you kind of learn. I've, I've learned, I think, one of the things we were saying before about being in the moment and um, trying to have fun with gigs. So um, I remember doing a gig where I noticed something about the um, ceiling fans. It was in, in a very tall venue, really high ceiling. And the ceiling fans had like a little the little cord you pull to 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 activate them, but like it came down like there was no you had to be about you literally would have had to have been about twelve foot tall to be able to reach up to turn them on and off. And I made I can't even remember the joke I made. I just made a joke about everyone in that town or village being giant, land of the giants or something. And uh, it was just literally an observation I just made, and and they all they all laughed at that and i just sort of i think that was a little one of many lessons where i just thought if if you've got something that's spontaneous a little ad lib always better to try it try it say it sometimes it won't work sometimes it won't be that funny but more often than not it'll be it'll be funny because the audience know that you've just come out with that off the top of your head and it's it's in the moment like i said i think audiences can can Smell an audience. Smell out a, an act that's just very scripted and is just banging out the same old stuff night after night. So they want to feel that you're in the moment and enjoying it as much as they are. So I think gigs like that have have, have taught me that gigs where you struggle and gigs where you die are always ones where you learn a bit, even if it's just that you learn never to go back to that venue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, never, never visit that town again or ever.
0: Um, and what how has um how has comedy sort of shaped you into the person you are today and how have you changed as a comic
1: um shaping me as, as as a person i think is interesting because before i did comedy i mean i'm still quite a shy person but before i did comedy i was i was incredibly shy um and people that have known me since I was, since before comedy, because I, I got into comedy quite late, I only started performing when I was 30. Um, so a lot of people that know me before I started performing can't believe that I, what I do, that I get up on stage, because it just was like absolutely anti, the absolute opposite of what they would have imagined me doing, because I was so quiet and uh, shy. So it's, like I say, I'm still quite shy, but I, I'm a lot more confident now than, than I ever would be. Um I can walk into a room where I don't know anyone and, and ch- chat to people and talk to people now, whereas I would never have been able to do that before. I would have just been that person hiding in the corner um, and not making eye contact with anyone. Um, and I can, if I go on holiday now and I don't speak the language very well, I, c- I can, I feel confident enough to go up and try and talk to a bar owner or a cafe owner and try and in sort of a mix, you know, mixture of English and whatever the, the languages try and order something whereas I would never have been able to do that before I would have been far too shy and like oh my god I think I think as a performer you kind of lose your sense of shame a little bit and I think shame is is an embarrassment is such a thing that holds so many people back and I know we have it probably for for good reasons but I think to lose lose your sense of shame lose your sense of embarrassment about everything and f- you have this fear don't you of making an idiot of yourself but when you become a comedian that's the whole point is that you want to make an idiot of yourself so so in real life you tend not to worry so much like that whole thing you know i used to if you walk down a street you know and if you trip on a paving stone or something you look around don't you and hope that absolutely no one saw you and if someone saw you trip you'd like pull your hood up and go oh god someone saw me trip over in the street whereas now i kind of if i trip over and i look around and someone's watching i kind of i kind of laugh and make more of it i think oh good i made that person laugh
0: <laughs> yeah that's it feels it feels our day isn't it when it happens because we that's what we we love it when we make people laugh it's like oh my god we did that
1: yeah 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 and i i remember this This is probably a pretty horrible story in some ways but i remember um like being in my car and i must have been idly just without even really noticing i was i was picking my nose which is obviously pretty horrible but like there was all these kids in the car that pulled up next to me and they looked over and they saw what i was doing and they're all laughing their heads off and rather than being really embarrassed, like perhaps I should have been, I turned around and did it like oh, exaggeratedly even more, like started rooting around and started pretending <laughs> I was like fucking at them. And of course they were howling with laughter, laughing their heads off. But pre-comedy, I would have been absolutely like embarrassed and would have driven off from the lights, like, head down and going, oh my God, I can't believe someone saw me doing that. So I think, yeah, losing your sense of shame and embarrassment is quite a good thing about becoming a performer
0: and it's been an absolute pleasure having you come on tony i hope you've well, enjoyed it
1: yeah no i i always enjoy talking talking <laughs> I, i'm aware that most of the time I'm just rambling and talking nonsense probably but like i do uh, especially in these these times at the moment we're, we're living in with the lockdown and stuff just just chatting away and, and being able to talk to talk to someone other than my, my girlfriend and the, the three kids here, or the dog and the cat. It's nice to talk to another human being. It's great.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if I've been doing a podcast for anything else. I think maybe I've been doing a podcast subliminally for therapy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're we're most comedians. We're all doing comedy as some sort of weird therapy, aren't we? So, so yeah. Why not do a podcast as well?
0: Now, for everyone to sort of how if how do people find out about you tony like
1: um the best the best way is is on twitter really that's kind of my go to i try out lots of jokes on twitter and if if i'm doing gigs or things i try and publicize them on there so if people want to look me up on twitter at tony cowards on twitter that's the best probably thing i am on facebook i'm kind of on instagram but i never post on there but yeah twitter's probably the best Just look me up on there if you're on twitter
0: all right well I want to, just want to say one thing, Tony, uh, best of luck with everything, and I'm pretty sure, don't jinx me on this, around the end of the year, comedy will be back with a vengeance.
1: <laughs> comedy will be back at some point. I mean, comedy hasn't gone away. Comedy's managed to survive, hasn't it, somehow, even if it's just online at the moment. It's lying, I like to think it's lying dormant at the moment, just ready to, to burst into life when it can.
0: It's, it's like a dog that's been kept in, a, in the house too long and when it goes in the park, it goes wild.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are wild comedy times ahead, I think. <laughs>